This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of The Joy Challenge. Discover the ancient secret to experiencing worry-defeating, circumstance-defying happiness. Written by pastor and best-selling author Randy Frazee and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Welcome to The Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. Brought to you by Dallas Theological Seminary. Welcome to The Table. We discuss issues of God and culture. I'm Daryl Bach, Executive Director for Cultural Engagement at the Hendricks Center at Dallas Theological Seminary in Dallas, Texas. And i got to say Dallas, Texas, because I've got an esteemed group here with me to discuss uh, really the nature of the church. And uh, and we've gone far and wide across the country. I've got Eric Mason over here on the end, who is pastor in Philadelphia at Epiphany Fellowship. And I've got Elizabeth Woodson, who's on staff at Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship here in Dallas. She works with Singles. And Brian Carter, who is a veteran of foreign wars, he's done this before with us, and who's pastor, senior pastor at the Concord Church. And our topic is really talking about the nature of the church. So I want to thank you all for being a part of the part of the uh, of the table today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We're going to set a little bit of a. Uh, we're going to set the table for the table, and mm-hmm. and uh, the table that we want to set is this: that that at the core of the gospel mm-hmm. is the theme of reconciliation. Mm-hmm. Amen. Um, and in. In the New Testament, of course, it's Jews and Gentiles who are being reconciled. Um, Today, we see nations coming together under Christ and being reconciled, and races coming together under Christ and being reconciled. So I want to start off by asking a question about um, uh, how you think about reconciliation uh, in in the context of of your ministries. Um, So Eric, I'll start with you. Well, thank you for having us on here, Dr. Box. Honor to be here. I mean, thinking about um, reconciliation in the context of our ministry, of course, we would start definitely with the biblical and theological framework, really of redemptive historical theology from Genesis to Revelation. That's where we began. And we begin in Christ's disposition towards reconciling us to the Father. And as the church, one of the challenges we talk about reconciliation to God, but not one another. That's right. And the cross is two-way street. And so uh, we happen to have a multi, a decently multi-ethnic church in the inner city of Philadelphia. And so we have to really hit it head on. So our average age is between 25 and 32. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so as we begin to work through and think through the idea of reconciliation, one of the things that we begin to challenge really our congregation with and one another with is Uh, We just want to, because everybody says Sunday is the most segregated time. Mm -hmm. We would say um, outside of our Sunday morning is our most segregated time. Mm -hmm. And so because people like to gather together for the appearance of Mm multi-ethnicity, but on a practical level when it comes to outreach, when it comes to community, when it comes to uh, local, international, national, we plant churches and we do foreign missions. And so it seems to be more homogeneous than hetero in relation to the nature of our church. And so we're always pressing up against that reality. And one of the ways that we really push on reconciliation is because we're in a deeply broken neighborhood, 90% single-parent homes, 90% of the pregnancies end in abortion. 
we're pushing uh, white brothers and sisters who are in that particular context who may be middle, upper class, or come from a rural area, that if you're going to become a part of the church, don't become a part of the church as a missionary opportunity, mm-hmm. but actually mm-hmm. come up under the leadership mm-hmm. of ethnic minorities mm-hmm. and be in community with people that aren't like you own the mission of the gospel and see us engaging our neighborhood, prison to school pipe, school to prison pipeline, all those different types of things as gospel issues, not merely social justice issues, but central gospel issues that the church as a whole is hitting up, not just black people. So that's huge for us. You know, you know, uh, when we when when I write about the gospel of Luke, there's a very interesting passage at the start when John the Baptist comes on the scene to set up the everything that's going to be happening. And it says he's come to turn the people of Israel back to God and to turn the fathers to the children and the the just to the unrighteous. And and, and so it, it has both of those elements. Absolutely. It's got a reconciliation in your relationship with God, but that's supposed to spill out in your relationship mm-hmm. to others. I say if you think about the Ten Commandments, it's structured the same way. Mm-hmm. Two tablets. Tablet one, your relationship to God. Tablet two, your relationship mm-hmm. to others. I call it the ethical triangle. Wow! And uh, and, and so you, so the idea that you can be reconciled to God and not pay attention to how that impacts how you're interacting with others is really a very um, truncated view mm-hmm. of 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 what the goal of reconciliation is all about. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians, of course, that we have a ministry of reconciliation. Right. When he goes yeah. to summarize the whole yeah. shooting match, right. you know, yeah. that's the one word he chooses to put it all together. So I think it's an important thing. Elizabeth, how do you think about reconciliation? You know, I think really it, it pushes home the idea that the essence of what we do with Christ is transformational relationships. And so this transformational relationship that we have with God and the Holy Spirit and Christ should pour over into the transformation relationships we have with believers and non-believers alike. You know, I think being in Oak Cliff and down in the southern sector of Dallas, living in a a relatively homogeneous community with other African Americans, for us it looks like creating partnerships Mm -hmm. so that we can engage with other churches and other organizations to have these dialogues and to provide these relationships. Mm -hmm. Because if they're not here, then how can we really promote and push for reconciliation if we're not being intentional about living in diverse community? Mm -hmm. And I think about the singles that I I have and the Bible studies that we've done where we're inviting other people to engage in this dialogue, especially of the current cultural climate. Mm-hmm. How do we talk about this together? Mm-hmm. And then how do we act together? Because I think it just can't be a conversation. That conversation needs to lead to some sort of action for us mm-hmm. to push towards this biblical ideal of diversity and really unity. You know, we had a meeting here recently of leading pastors in the area in which we were raising that very question. And the one one of the responses we were getting from the floor is that um, conversations are wonderful, and we've had lots of conversations. Mm-hmm. There really is a need to do something concrete, and you know, have some genuine networks and some genuine structures in mm-hmm. place, and some, mm-hmm. do, be doing some concrete things uh, so that something uh, positive comes out of this. Um, Brian, what you, what, what's your take on reconciliation? So I, I, I'm quite in line with both of my brother and sister in terms of their reflections on this whole matter, mm-hmm. um, that essentially it's it's us living out this biblical expectation mm-hmm. that's modeled through our spiritual reconciliation that ought to be exemplified through our human and context relationships. So uh, I think it's uh, – but the thing I, I've noticed more and more in our work in this area at Concord mm-hmm. is – the importance of it being intentional, mm-hmm. that, that it has to be at the very heartbeat mm-hmm. of one of the core DNA values for mm-hmm. the church. Mm-hmm. That I, I think so often what happens is we get so engaged in just ministry mm-hmm. that we forget about 
if the church is not pursuing this, no one else is. Right. Right. And uh, they did a survey in Dallas mm-hmm. uh, some time ago talking about who's responsible mm-hmm. for really uh, working against racism, uh, working toward reconciliation. And they listed all these entities, schools and mm-hmm. government and law and police officers. But I understood, we understood that the church was too far down the line. Right. And so for yeah. us, it's about making it an intentional part yeah. of how we shape our ministry. Yeah, because so it's going to happen by default. It's not going to happen by default. Yeah, yeah. By, by default, we yeah. drift away. Way right, instead of right. stepping into that space. So mm. for us, it's mm. it's partnering with churches. It's uh, some of the work we've done with pulpit swaps, partnering. This year we had eight churches, eight black, eight white, swap pulpits on the mm. same day mm. around this ideal of us, let's begin to share this worship together, mm-hmm. but let's also begin to talk about how do we engage in the city together. Mm. Right. Because it's our belief that the, the city needs the gospel and the city needs mm. the church, mm-hmm. but that reconciled church can do much more than a church in our own area alone. Right. And so it's us pressing into that. It's us yeah. finding ways mm-hmm. to serve together, have conversations. So we've done that with another church in our city. We've had our men uh, spend like four weeks together and mm. talk about the history of racism in the country, mm-hmm. talk about uh, just the dynamics in our city, and then talk about what's the game plan? Mm-hmm. How do we move forward in addressing this issue <laughs> good, in man. real ways? Yeah, yeah. That's terrific. Yeah. Well, let's, let, let's, let's start to have the conversation. I'm going to ask a question I told you I was going to ask before we started recording, and, and it really is a question that's designed to help uh, people understand one another. And so, uh, so the question goes like this, and Brian, I'm going to start with you. Okay. Um, Tell me, as an Anglo, what I don't get about being African American and living as an African American here in the United States, and and I'm all ears. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'm ready to duck. <laughs> oh, it's a great question, yeah. and uh, I think it's that kind of question that we have to ask more of Absolutely. to really begin to to face some of the issues. Mm-hmm. I think. One of the challenges we face is that we ignore the, the, the distinctives that shape my Christian experience. Mm-hmm. We, we, we have a common gospel, mm-hmm. a common faith, mm-hmm. but there are some some unique there's some uniqueness to my experience as African American, mm-hmm. and even my experience is not monolithic. That's I mean, right. I mean across the faith there are different aspects that reflect the African American Christian experience. Mm-hmm. Of course, we cannot ignore just the the theology of suffering mm-hmm. that has been a part of our heritage mm-hmm. um, uh, through the civil rights movement, through the implications of racism, mm-hmm. and even today. Mm-hmm. I mean, th- those those implications, those influences, mm-hmm. still shape the way that I come to church. Mm -hmm. The the black church historically has been a place of hope. Mm -hmm. It's been a place of encouragement. It's Mm -hmm. been a place of of collaboration. Mm -hmm. It's been a place where the black church historically has been, had a heavy influence Mm -hmm. in its community. Mm -hmm. Because it wasn't just a place where I heard the gospel. Mm -hmm. That pastor was a father figure. Mm -hmm. That pastor was engaged in the community as a community Mm -hmm. leader. He was free to speak. He was free to speak. It was a refuge. He was free to speak for me when no one else could, when I couldn't speak for myself. And so um, those are some of the implications historically that still convey to the day. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a um, as a you need to understand that from my experience, I've as a black person in America, suffering has been a part of my heritage. Mm-hmm. I still live with that today. Mm-hmm. Uh, I still live with the ex- with being excluded at times mm-hmm. in different places. I still live with the isolation. Mm-hmm. My commitment to Christ is well. I think sometimes we we the black church has sometimes been devalued mm-hmm. uh, because of its approach to ministry, mm-hmm. because of its emotionalism and things. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that. 
that from my experience and from what most of us understand, the black church has always had a strong commitment to the gospel. Mm-hmm. And so I think understanding our commitment to the gospel has been through and through How and can stands today. you not have today. an emotional dimension when part of the experience has so much pain? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, yeah. how can that yeah. – and you can't do that. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and so uh, it seems to me it's – it's an important, you know. I, I asked this question to Tony Evans when we did an earlier podcast, and and he responded and took me through a series of experiences mm-hmm. that he has as an African American that I can't really sure. identify. Well, the closest sure. I can identify with it, I did live. I, I told him afterwards. I said, you know, I did live four separate years, uh, single years in Germany, sure. where German was not my first language; it was mm-hmm. my second language. I went into PTA meetings at the schools where my kids were struggling to understand what was being said and fe- feeling apart because I didn't share the language with the facility that everyone else had it with. So I, I've had a little bit of an experience of what it is to be marginalized just just because, you know, uh, and uh, but it's not quite the same experience for mm-hmm. someone. Here it's still not the same, and and, and I, I think sometimes that's underappreciated. Elizabeth, yeah. what about what, what would you? How did you help us understand? You know, that? I think it's understanding really, and to to expand on what Pastor Carter said, the the history of the Black Church, mm-hmm. and that the context in which it's developed to really contextualize the suffering, the oppression that we were experiencing as Black people in America, really from the time of slavery, mm-hmm. um, and even with Black evangelicalism, to be able to contextualize how does my theology affect my sociology, mm-hmm. um, and the dynamics of being Black in America and living in a racial society, mm-hmm. right? So I think people, you know, in this conversation about race, you know, I'm not racist, I'm not prejudiced, but really the dynamic of what does it mean to live in a society mm-hmm. where economic, social, psychological benefits might not come to you sure. based mm-hmm. upon the color of your skin. Mm-hmm. Um, and this biculturalism that as an African-American, I have to have to be able to engage in a dominant culture that might not value my church sure. experience, mm-hmm. um, might not value the dynamics in which we present the gospel or Mm. preach or just some aspects Mm. of the black church experience that are very rich in tradition and history. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I think really to understand what it means to the experience of a black person in the church is really to understand the experience of what it means to be black in America. Mm -hmm. And there really is just some truths of what that dynamic racially looks like for us that we have to unpack Mm -hmm. to really be able to put on the table uh, an understanding that everybody can have of how can we correct some of the things that aren't, let's say, appropriate or correct some of the directions that we're going in as a country sure. that really aren't reflecting who Christ really is. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, Eric? <clears throat> I, I kind of, I don't want to be a reductionist, but I, one of the things I, I, the way I look at it is two different timelines mm-hmm. comprehensively, mm-hmm. like on every level, mm-hmm. um, spiritual timeline mm-hmm. in some ways from a theological standpoint. Um, sociological, geographical, economic, sociological, psychological, timelines, difference. When you have since possibly 1619, mm-hmm. our timeline technically is documented to have started mm-hmm. differently than when whiteness was created. Okay. Whiteness was created by America as a marginalization technique for capitalism. Mm-hmm. So when you have those two different timelines going on, and then we've only had maybe forty years, mm-hmm. maybe. Mm-hmm. And it's like it's like telling someone start a marathon. You start running right. first, and you get right. 
17 to 20 miles into the marathon, then you say, okay, you got to start running. Right. Yeah. You got an equal opportunity to run, but you got to catch up with them. Right. And it's like, you're never going to catch up, right. you know? Yeah. Right. And so what the black church has been, right. has been an Imago Day equalizer. Mm-hmm. Right. And right. so I, I think that what the black church has served to do is bring gospel dignity right. to blacks. That's why titles are important in the black right. church. Mm-hmm. Right. Titles is not a pride thing mm-hmm. at its root. It's mm-hmm. really... When you were out in the street or when you were at work, you an older black man had to address a younger white man as sir. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, and nobody called him sir. Right. right. So when he got to the black church, he was deacon, he was right. reverend, he was sister, yes. right. he yes. was brother. Right. And we dressed up as a way to say, yeah. I'm blue collar during the week, but this is where I have my dignity and right. value. Mm-hmm. Right. And so for me, that's what the black church done. It, it, it started from your youth, your junior usher. Mm-hmm. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and all of that, yeah, all of it's right. focused on. Pointing to because you don't have to teach us total depravity. We already know we're totally depraved. <laughs> right. the, the issue, <laughs> you know, you know, the, the, the issue now is mm. dignity. Right, right. You know, right. dignity. Right. The gospel right. brings dignity, right. and so for me, that is the major contribution mm. of the black church. Beautiful. Period. Mm. Yeah, Beautiful. yeah. The, the interesting part of this conversation when when I when I'm trying to speak with other Anglo's about it is to say. Because because the reaction when this discussion comes up goes something like this, and it, and it's two tiered. Um, it's well, I haven't tried to do anything consciously racist racist in my life. Sure, you know they're yeah. very sure. personalized, very individualized. Right. But what what is harder to see is how it's built, how their it's elements built, built in. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And and it and it isn't it isn't necessarily just what you do consciously. It's what you are unaware of right. that's going on Very around nice you that 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 needs attention and and needs to be um, perceived with some element of concern. And the the great greatest some of the greatest conversations I have go like this. You know, sometimes uh, an angler will walk into this conversation and say, Well I'm I'm tired of having this conversation and this always puts my back against the wall to have this conversation and I love my African American brothers and sisters who say I never get to leave the conversation right. mm. I, yeah, live, right. I live yeah, I live I live with the conversation yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and most people don't get that sure they just don't right sure. um, and so so to hear the articulation of what it is that what the experience is again another example that Tony gave us he said he said you know I've been I've been pulled over for driving through a neighborhood on my way to lead a Bible study mm. simply because the color of my skin sure I said yeah I can Tony I've never had that experience sure you know sure. I, and and so um, so we have talked about this and it just strikes me that the experience is so different I mean um, you know, some people, some people think that the that the experience is um, is the same for everybody, and mm-hmm. it's not. No, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's not. Yeah. So, so help us, help us think through um, how we can we can work better together. What are some of the things you've alluded to? Some of them, but let's develop mm-hmm. that a little more. Mm-hmm. Um, what are what are the, some of the things that you're seeing? Or stretching towards to to try and and bridge this gap and to help the understanding and to move from conversation to action. Mm-hmm. What are some of the things you you see the church is needing? So for us, I mean, the last couple of years since Ferguson happened, mm-hmm. we've got a group of churches working together. The last 
two years because mm-hmm. I think that when you look across our country and look at the the matter of racism, I really I really believe that's a call to the church. Mm-hmm. It's a call to the church to say, have we we've ignored the issue? Now we need to address it. Mm-hmm. For, right. for us, it's it's the pulpit swaps, trying to get right. trying to model it, mm-hmm. and then also we're trying to work through a series of teachings mm-hmm. that we all can preach on together mm-hmm. around this matter of racism. And it's not. It, it, I think it's very important to say it's not politics that we're talking no. about. It's theology. It's theology. I mean, we really right. if the gospel is really about rec- right. it, reconciliation at its core, Absolutely. and right. the flip side of it is. If one of the most powerful means of showing that the gospel has power right. is the way in which relationships are realigned, right. okay, which right. I think is true, right. then we're actually living out our mission exactly. when we when we tackle these topics. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. Yeah. Uh, Elizabeth, what are you seeing? You know, I think for me, you know, I think it's the dynamic of what it means to to continue to sit at the table mm-hmm. um, and continue to to fight to have these conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, I think sometimes there can be, especially in the current cultural climate, and what you know, the conversation that I'm having with the young adults and singles that I work with is kind of a weariness along the way. Mm-hmm. And so, to how do we continue to bring awareness? I think there is. Um, the culture is a lot more aware that something's wrong now than maybe they were a couple of months ago. Mm -hmm. And so how do we bring information? How do we bring podcasts and documentaries and books? There's a lot of great material that's been written on this Mm -hmm. to understand the (coughs) dynamics of what it means to live in a racialized society, what it looks like to have privilege, what it looks like to really deconstruct some of these systems. What Mm -hmm. is systematic racism? Mm -hmm. Um, I think because if you can't see it, then Mm -hmm. how do we bring it to your eyes? Um, And then how do we enable you to to take that information, right? Because the information isn't the end goal. Right. And how do we act to really dismantle some of these things that are creating a reality for some of our brothers and sisters in Christ in less than ideal? Um, and I think right now, specifically working with um, a women's conference here in Dallas that has a real heart for diversity and racial reconciliation and talking through those hard questions of what does this really mean? Mm-hmm. What does it look like for us to move beyond the shallow, mm-hmm. to move to places where we're uncomfortable mm-hmm. and are comfortable being uncomfortable and really engage this next generation with the tools that they need to be able to act? Right. And, and you're challenging people to let yeah. God go to work and, right. and changing their lives and yeah. then thinking about living in, in fresh and dynamic ways that, that actually contributes to the unity and the oneness of the body. Eric? I totally agree, first off, with what's been said. Amazing stuff's been said. Um, I'm, in my home church is All Cliff Bible Fellowship. Mm-hmm. So we used to do a, um, every year Solemn Assembly. Mm-hmm. And I took that to Philly when I went. Mm-hmm. And in the last few years, we've added um, br- cross-ethnic churches, so Korean churches, Chinese churches, white churches, come for a week and fast with us and seek the Lord together to treat it. You know, one of the things we wanted to do first was treat it as a spiritual warfare issue mm-hmm. um, uh, because we realized, you know, the weapons of our warfare aren't carnal, but right. the right. power for the yeah. destruction of fortresses. So this, racism and injustice is a fortress mm-hmm. that fortress. needs to be yes. destroyed. Yes. Right. It's a stubborn yeah. mindset that needs to be decimated yes. by the weapons of our warfare, which fasting, I believe, is one of those mm-hmm. things. Praying is one of those things. Mm-hmm. And so getting together. The other thing that we instituted is opportunity. We start. We have a conference called Frequency Conference every year. Within it this year, we called it Woke Church. And, mm-hmm. uh, and in it, we had racial IQ workshops, mm-hmm. you know, so that blacks and whites could begin to learn. Because you'd be surprised. There are African-Americans mm-hmm. who 
don't believe that there's systemic racism still. Mm. And so and so we had those racial IQ workshops and invited those folks in so that people can get developed in that framework. Mm. Other thing, we had a service together and that type of thing. Now we started something called the Woke Church Think Tank, where now we're working through how do we develop professionals in every area. We have psychologists that are talking about the post-traumatic stress of African Americans and how to work with that and how to train whites to leverage their privilege mm. uh, for gospel means to bring systemic change in communities. So that's just some of the things we're working on and trying to see if the Lord's going to continue to blow on it. God is a genius storyteller, and the evidence of this is threaded throughout Scripture. In Christianity Today's new show, Holy Curiosity, with me, Kat Armstrong, we explore storied connections threaded throughout Scripture from the Old Testament to the New. Our first miniseries, Connecting Dinah and the Woman at the Well, welcomes experts like Drs. Tim Mackey and Diane Landberg to give us insight and context into the physical location and meaning of these two stories. These stories will spark holy curiosity in your own faith, because once you see these connections, you can't unsee them. God wastes no person, place, or thing. Listen and subscribe to Holy Curiosity with Kat Armstrong on your favorite podcast platform. I think for too long in the church, the discussion of racism has been seen as a political discussion or a social justice only discussion and not a theological discussion. Right. So so now I want to help you help help have you help me unpack that. And that is Talk to me about how you see this as a theological issue, as something that is um, central to what the church is supposed to be. I would, I think, to me, Titus three is the most cloaked passage in the New Testament on this issue because you have Paul kind of do things backwards, um, like than he usually does. He does orthopraxy and orthodoxy throughout the book. It's interesting because he usually does the reverse. Mm-hmm. And so um, in th- chapter 3, of course, in chapter 2, he says, verse 1, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Then he tells you all of these different things that are sound. Mm-hmm. And in, chap- in verse 1, it says, serve basically your city, mm-hmm. your civic authorities. Then it talks about because you were lost. Then it goes into regeneration, mm-hmm. all of this and God being the ultimate philanthropist, mm-hmm. then by saving us, then he goes into teach our people to learn to engage in meeting pressing needs in order that we may not be found unfruitful. Mm-hmm. Beautiful outworking of right there in that passage. For me, that's a core passage for us in thinking about what are the pressing needs. So it's in, you can't, if you got Twitter, <laughs> you, <laughs> you know, and so, and so I think that right now the church has a forth-telling prophetic opportunity mm-hmm. to begin to reinvigorate his pro- – I'm getting into what I'm going to talk about later, but yeah. reinvigorate his prophetic voice again right. to show the world that we do think something's wrong. Right. And we do think that we've contributed to it right. and that we want to help be a voice and practitioner in helping evade everything that we've helped create. So, yeah. Okay. So, and, and what I see you talking about in Titus, and I think this is actually true – the New Testament in general, and Bible in general, and that is when God begins to invade a life, he isn't invading a life to have us think differently. He's invading a life to impact our relationships. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's invading our life to have us um, 
um, think through the way in which we live with one another. And again, another classic passage example is the passage of the Good Samaritan in Luke, where where the lawyer, uh, being a good lawyer, is trying to limit his responsibility <laughs> by asking who's my neighbor when he's yeah. really asking, aren't there some people I'm not responsible sure. for? Wow. And, 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 then, and then in the midst of it, Jesus tells a story that says, you're supposed to go and be a neighbor. Don't mm. worry about who this applies to. You just be mm. one. And then, mm. oh, no, by the way, and neighbors can come and surprise and package Wow, us. absolutely. And so, um, and so in the midst of that, you're seeing a, really a reconfiguration of the way we're supposed to be thinking about the relationships that we have. Yeah. So that's very helpful. Uh, Elizabeth, you've talked about kind of the current environment. Okay, I'm I'm gonna try and go. Okay. <laughs> okay. So I'm gonna let you describe the current environment as you see it. Okay. So what is the current environment as you see it? And then and then we'll we'll go gently into this. Okay. Okay. Go ahead. You know, I think um, I think if we're honest, there always has kind of been this divide mm -hmm. between black and white in our country. Mm -hmm. um, and I really believe that, and even the feedback and conversations I've been having again with the people that I steward at Oak Cliff, is that the divide in some sense has become a chasm. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Because there really is, our vote is the most powerful voice we have in this country. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think to reduce people to um, kind of a one-line narrative isn't isn't right, you know. Mm -hmm. I think because we we struggle people doing that for African Americans, but to realize that there are dynamics that were expressed in this this political campaign, mm -hmm. and that people feel, are you in support of that, or are you in support of me mm -hmm. um, as an African American? And so I think the real dynamics is that some people have felt left behind mm -hmm. um, and felt that they weren't stood with when it really mattered. Mm -hmm. um, and again, the issues are complex. We cannot reduce them or simplify them, but really it is, we've been having these racial reconciliation conversations. We've been talking through this stuff for years. Mm -hmm. And when I ask you or need you to stand with me, mm -hmm. you know, from our perception and our experience, we feel that we were left by ourselves. And, and I, th I think the, the hard thing about this election has been that there, are ac there were actually, the, the issues were layered, if I can say mm -hmm. it that way. Mm -hmm. And so what you had mm -hmm. were people who said, I value this concern and this choice mm -hmm. in relationship to another set of concerns and another choice. So you had a lot of people who said, we had a lot of people who said, I'm not happy with the choice here at all, mm -hmm. sure. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, but I've got to cast a vote, <laughs> you know. So and 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 they and they parsed that. If I can use a good grammatical term here, <laughs> they parsed that out. And in the midst of parsing that out, a whole group said, uh, groups, not a single group. Whole group said, "What about us? Mm -hmm. And why? Why? Why do we come?" Down the ladder and down the yeah. down the road and the consideration, I, I get that, and I think that the church is actually in a, put in a challenging position mm -hmm. as a result of that to show that in the midst of the prioritization that many did undertake, that the people who feel excluded and left out are not left out and forgotten. We mm -hmm. actually we actually there's something that needs to be done. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so how do you? How, how do you keep hope alive? <laughs> you know, I think, I think the, one, the one benefit that I've seen from this 
is that people do realize that there is a problem. Mm -hmm. And so I've seen black and white, Asian, Latino believers say, we need to come together Mm -hmm. and we need to talk about this and we need to address this. Mm -hmm. We need to address this issue of the prioritization of certain social issues within our culture. And really, what is our theology? Mm -hmm. What do we believe as believers, Mm -hmm. right? As brothers and sisters in Christ, because that is the closer bond that we have, not racial ties, but this this tie we have as being a part of the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And how do we take that theology and how do we allow it to impact our sociology? Mm-hmm. And to me, I really see it has, it's been this catalyst to push people into conversations that to me, again, are saying, hey, we need to do something about this. As long as people mm-hmm. are willing to step into that space and have those conversations and not back off. I'll tell you one thing that I'm seeing that bothers me. And that is uh, you you raise this and you raise the issue of justice, et cetera, and the response comes, what I call it the yes, but response, mm-hmm. okay? And the emphasis is not on the yes, the emphasis is on the but, okay? <laughs> and, and, and the point here is, is that someone says, yes, I recognize that, but, and then they'll put, and then whoever they perceive the other side as being, the other side does this, sure. okay? Sure. And so it's like, it, it's like, I call it not owning your own junk. Okay, <laughs> you know yeah. that you push it off and you say, "Well, they're doing this," and and sometimes the suggestions and what they're doing is worse than the problem that we mm-hmm. have. And you walk and you wash your hands and you walk away. Yeah. But that's not a Christian response. Right. Christian mm-hmm. response is to own your own junk. It's it's to recognize. We fall short here. We're not supposed to be like the world. We're not supposed to be like the things that we're complaining about. We're supposed to be different and distinct, and we're supposed to be building in a positive direction. We're supposed to deal with the places where we fall short and bring them before the Lord and work on them. Mm -hmm. And it seems to me that um, getting into the conversation and having the conversation, at least from from some degree from the Anglo side is is to recognize that the way to respond is not with a yes but here's here's the problem on the other end now I've got to I've got to own and deal with the stuff that I can own and deal with mm-hmm. right Does that makes sense it makes yeah. a lot of sense it makes yeah. a lot of sense yeah so so Brian talk about some of the things that you guys are doing to to try and uh, and work you've alluded to them but sure. what exactly <clears throat> does some of this involve so so I, I just believe that as we continue to have these conversations, one of the things I think that's been dynamic, that's been u- unique with our situation, is the partnership with my friend in the city, Jeff Warner, white pastor, mm-hmm. who's really leading his church into this space. Mm-hmm. And I think when we talk about these dynamics, mm-hmm. I think one of the things we're discovering is that it really calls on the white pastor. I mean, mm-hmm. the black pastor, we can talk about it right. every day, all right. day. Mm-hmm. But when that white pastor steps up and preaches a series mm-hmm. and challenges his church, and enga- I think I think that's really a space where we're in now is that we need mm-hmm. that kind of leadership. And mm-hmm. so he's really been a great partner in the city. And I've seen a lot of other pastors partner with us. And so for us, it really involves one, helping to inform our congregation, helping to bring together. We brought together our men. Mm -hmm. We sat down around round tables, and Mm -hmm. we sat down and we talked. Mm -hmm. He taught uh, a lesson on systematic racism, Mm -hmm. and then we had discussion Mm -hmm. around what is that. Mm -hmm. And then we talked about what does that look like in our city. Mm -hmm. We talked about the the poverty, talked about Mm -hmm. the lack of opportunities. Mm -hmm. And then we talked about, okay, what are our next steps? Mm -hmm. And we identify about 10 key next steps that we're going to commit to with three of those, Mm -hmm. uh, around those. One being around economic economic issues, Mm -hmm. one developed around the uh, mass incarceration system, Mm -hmm. and then one around just deepening our relationships. And all we're talking about here is 
applied theology. We are, it's applied theology. Right. Yeah. Essentially, yeah. essentially, yeah. it's not. It's not that we're dealing with politics. It's us dealing with the, the gospel issues. We mm-hmm. can't disconnect in the black church. You can't be disconnected mm-hmm. to the social issues. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're all around us. The mm-hmm. poverty, the the lack of uh, quality education, mm-hmm. all of those issues are a part of who we are. Mm-hmm. But sometimes in the white church, because of the communities that they live in, mm-hmm. they may not have those issues readily around the church. Right. So for us, it's to make sure we don't disconnect those mm-hmm. two, mm-hmm. to make sure it's a gospel issue for the quality education, mm-hmm. o- opportunities for those in poverty, and helping to provide uh, educational oppor- and economic opportunities. So I'm going back to the kind of the image we talked about earlier when you were describing the, the difference in the African-American church experience from a general, generally from the Anglo one, which is the, the church being a refuge. It's, all, it, it's, a, it's a refuge. It's a resource. It's an advocate. Right. Right. It's an advocate for the black community mm-hmm. at right. large, which is why you see pastors so prominent in every sphere of life. Sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, 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 would it be fair to say it's almost a... Um, I want to say replacement for the family, but it steps into the void of of a of a lack of, in some cases, enough family and community support. It becomes the community support. Is that a, is that a fair characterization? Have I over overstated it? I think you could say somewhat. I just think. Um some of our culture from Africa made its way to America, and we we operate as a village. Okay, right. and so I think the church is more of a village of extended family. Mm-hmm. Right, um, you know, uh, 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 but I won't discount the fragmentation of the family because of slavery, mm-hmm. black codes, Jim Crow, etc. Right, right, yeah. But I, I think, yeah, I think. It, uh, would y'all agree with that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I think that one of the things. This is another thing that needs to be owned. I think on the on the Anglo side. And that is uh, one of the yes buts that I get is, but look at how fragmented the African American community is. Look at how the lack of fam- the lack of, of structural families, et cetera. To which my response is, from what I know about the history, what little I know about the history is, yeah, but it was almost set up sure. to work yeah. that way. Sure that people don't realize mm-hmm. the right. impact of what mm-hmm. slavery did right. to families. Right. You know. Mm-hmm. In uh, the way in which which people were moved around and the, and, and were pieces on a table as mm-hmm. opposed to being people, right? Mm-hmm. And and so you you know the Bible says you pay for those things in the third and fourth mm-hmm. generations. Sure. You know that those things don't go away. You don't just wipe the slate clean, and that's part of what needs to be owned. And I think that's a, a part of the experience, if I can say it. That 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 I think. Generally speaking, a lot of people are oblivious to in the, in the Anglo community the impact of that. Would that be fair? Yeah, Doctor Buck, I would. <clears throat> I used. I had um, a lot of white friends that say, "Hey, can you give me some resources?" And I used to. Mm-hmm. Now I don't, mm-hmm. and I'll tell you why. Um, you being a research professor, no more probably than all of us put together about researching. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can say, all of us having been students or students or researching, researching process does something to you mm-hmm. when you have to search mm-hmm. and find connect to and you like mm-hmm. and that that process of discovery to me is a sanctifying process mm-hmm. and, I, and i and that's what i, I would call a big encouragement like mm-hmm. a huge encouragement mm-hmm. for black brothers uh, for our white brothers but then not letting your research process make you think you know right like it's like in neo and matrix right jujitsu you know you know but then having actual relationships with african-americans that don't center on racial reconciliation yeah. right but just a relationship that's yeah. right and then yeah. that comes up as a process of relationship. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. So, in other words, in the natural pursuit of of, of 
being a friend absolutely, and, and being involved in a person's life because yeah. they're your friend, et cetera. In the natural scheme of things, these things – and I think I'm hearing you. What you're saying is this is not a topic that you kind of treat as an antise- in an antiseptic kind of way. Right. You know, yeah. from a distance. It's like, you put on your mask while you're doing your research, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Okay. No, this is this – is, until you get involved in the warp and woof of what this is all about, and you're not, you're not going to get your hands around it at all. It's, it's, it's it's not a, it's not a bibliographic note and a footnote. Absolutely. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, so so house can how ha, ha, what other what other things would you say? This is this is great, Eric. Um, what other things would you say to the to the church at large about how how to help the church be the church? Well, you know, me and Chandler have a real good relationship when it comes to this type of stuff, mm-hmm. and I think that. Um, you just, I think you just need someone pushing both ways. Mm-hmm. One of the things I want to invite my white brothers to do is push. Mm-hmm. Like, we can handle it. We've been pushing up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we can, like, um, I think respectfully push, knowing right. that you're pushing against pain. Right. Um, you know, yeah. but I think you you have to you have to push and ask. If you think we're victim, act like victims, like ask those questions because those things need to be unearthed right and and I think and I think on a on even on a school level I think we need to I think the epistles are important but I think a lot of schools live in the epistles right I think we need to think of all scripture as Jesus said all of them speak of me so uh-huh. going back into the prophets yeah. and looking at how it speaks of him right you know and just I think going back and really unearthing the whole counsel of God I think is extremely important because even little stuff you're saying, like the three, what did you call those three things? The uh, tablets and the, you. Oh, the, the the ethical triangle. That's amazing. Yeah, like that needs to be like written out in an article if you have it, and <laughs> yeah. talking about that in relation to racial reconciliation, yeah. and having an African American speak into that. Right. I just think that I just think that that I think those are a conglomerate of things that are just so important. Yeah, I do. I do. Yeah, I do. I. I, I I like I like the idea of the what I think you're asking for is a frank, honest conversation between friends. Right. Absolutely, and, and, right. and in which I don't I don't hide what I'm really thinking. Yeah, and sure. uh, and we get it out on the table, and then because there's a built-in relationship and respect. Go to work on it. Absolutely. You know, right. it, it's it's it, analogy. It's no different than a marriage. Okay, uh, I, it may be a shock to you, but my wife and I do not agree a hundred percent on everything that we pursue. <laughs> <in life. laughs> right. There are sometimes times for diplomatic conversations sure. in which the parties met, you know, and had had conversation on what <laughs> needs to be done. Yeah. And I would say this too: yeah. that at the same time as we talk about these, it's risky. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's risky yeah. for a pastor. A White pastor yeah. step out and give this framework, knowing yeah. in this congregation there are people right. that may not be in that be not ready for That's that, right. or they or they have these differing opinions. Yeah. So I think the risk of it as a pastor is something that pastor must step into, right. because the conversation is happening all in the culture. But if the church doesn't give people a framework right. for how to handle this on Monday morning when they've watched this video right. over the weekend and they've tried to explain away everything, they have to be able to give them yeah, a theological I, framework. And the thing that I find is is that I find that there are lots of well-meaning people who are where they are because that's where they've been, you know, and they they don't – 
They don't have any other reality uh, that's been put before them for them to process. And it, and so I see it in in my own thing is there's a process of education that's right. going yeah, that's on. Not, right. I mean, earlier we talked about don't research, but there's there is a process of education that goes on in which you say to people, can you step out of your own shoes in sure. your own world for a second mm-hmm. and just listen to someone whose reality is different right. and think about if you're in that situation – what your reactions might be, exactly. mm-hmm. and 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 I think uh, some people have have never been in a position to be able to step into that space, mm-hmm. and so uh, a pastor who comes along and helps to paint that world. Right. I mean, that's actually right. what this podcast right. is trying to do: right. is right. to paint that world for people. So I go, you know, I never saw that before. I never I never understood it that way before. I didn't realize that that was sure. a part of what was going on, etc. And um, I find that there are enough well-meaning people in the, in in that circumstance yeah. that they, when you go, lead into that space, they'll they'll walk with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I think Romans twelve stops at verse two for so many of us. Sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it's kind of like, okay, great quote, it yeah. changed my mind. Yeah, yeah. You know, but then when you look at what. Being a living sacrifice looks like right. in the rest of that passage. That's right. This is the, this is this whole conversation. That's right. exactly right. You know, it's a passage of empathy. Right. Um. Right. Of I mean, as the centerpiece of what it means to be a living sacrifice. Right. In the context of relationships with the body. Right. That's right. And, and I think that that right there has to be um, I, one of the things you know. And I encourage even African Americans, like for us. I can tend to become apathetic mm-hmm, and sure. say, I'm sick of explaining black people to white people. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm just being honest. Yeah. Yeah. And so, but the Lord had to convict me about that mm-hmm. because I can't, uh, you know, I can't be resistant. Like Second Timothy two talks about, three talks about people will one day, you know, be irreconcilable, and I don't uh-huh. want to be like fulfilling that prophecy. Right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know there's so, certain texts you're after, and that's not one of them. <laughs> you know, and so and so I think that that's um, that, I think that's at the core of this thing. I think if you have a relationship with a white brother, white right. sister, uh-huh. white families, and different things, and it's a natural part of your relationship, when you have to talk about issues of race and justice, there's a trust that's already sure, there exactly. that doesn't start with trying to build trust and talking right. about something right. so Ooh. difficult to talk about right. because the because the can we meet for coffee and talk about the current election it's like man I'm so like <laughs> what like yeah. you know right, right, right. that's our starting point yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know so yeah 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 you yeah. want that coffee to boil while we're talking <laughs> yeah, so, yeah yeah no I get that we you know one of the ways this was handled here after the shootings was um, one of the at one of uh, leading businessmen here in the city put together an event in which he had each of us invite um, someone of a different ethnicity to talk in a group of about 20 of us. And so we each brought someone. So I went with Rodney Orr. And uh, and we sat and talked. And because there was a relationship base there to start with, the conversation immediately went to a level hmm. that, you, you know, you weren't having to spend hours clearing sure. out brush sure. before sure. you got there. Yeah. Mm. Sure. And mm. it just made for a different kind of... Of conversation, and so, so I guess one of the first steps is, mm. is, is, of application might be to people mm. um, uh, work to develop relationships right. with Very people who so. are That's around right. you Very who so. are different than you, right. and 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 ask them about their world. That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. right. And I mean, I think 
Because mm. I think sometimes I have conversations with people who say, you know, I live like far north Dallas. So there aren't a lot of people that look different than me around. Right. Mm. And I think even the encouragement to pursue all the more mm-hmm. diversity, pursue all the more those intentional relationships, because it is this racial isolation that if we're not stepping the experience of anybody else, nothing's going to change. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we don't have an excuse because I'm living in a community of all black people or I live in a community sure. of all white people mm-hmm. that I don't have to do this because nobody lives next door. We really need to pursue really what's the heart of God. Mm-hmm. Um, and that takes a lot of intentionality and sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I just want to yeah. stop and thank you, you guys for taking the time to come in and talk uh, and, and to have this uh, initial conversation, at least in the context of the of the table. We are um, we're, we're th- we're thrilled about what it is that God does in the church when He brings people together. Right. We're um, elated with the hope and the and the, uh, that reconciliation can represent. We have no doubt that when reconciliation happens, it stands out like a big light in the midst of a divided world. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so the goal is clear and the potential of what it represents for the testimony of the church is huge, and I think you all have helped us to get our hands around that, so I appreciate you taking the time to come and talk with us. Thanks for the Thanks so much. And we thank you for being a part of the table, and we look forward to having you back again with us soon. Thanks for listening to The Table Podcast. For more podcasts like this one, visit dts.edu slash the table. Dallas Theological Seminary. Teach truth. Love well. This episode was brought to you in part by The Truce Podcast. The new season examines the connection between some evangelicals and the Republican Party with the help of world-class historians. Subscribe to Truce in your podcast app or listen at trucepodcast.com.